Welcome to the Who Watches the Watchmen podcast, a weekly discussion of the new HBO series Watchmen. My name is Derek Wong. And I'm Jeff Zhang. On this week's episode, we want to dive into the seminal graphic novel by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Derek, let's uh, let's dive right into it. Where should we start? You know what? Maybe we should uh, talk a little bit about... Let's talk about the Alan, gra- Moore, Alan Moore and maybe the graphic novel itself, right? So it's it was written by Alan Moore, illustrated by mm-hmm. Dave Gibbons. And it was a 12-issue run from, I guess, it started in September of 1986 to October of 1987, right? So it's a very self-contained, I guess, piece of work that, you know, unfolded itself over one year. And after that, I don't know... Do do you know if the um, subsequent before Watchmen, are those kind of sanctioned by him? Did he write those too? I don't think he had anything... No, he had nothing to do with those. He is notoriously against the spin-offs and and adaptations of his work. So I think he meant for Watchmen to be this self-sustained kind of work that stands on its own. Mm-hmm. So before Watchmen was the prequel series and then the new one which is Doomsday Clock is more of a part of like a branded reboot for the DC universe. So it's like it's folding the characters of Watchmen into the DC universe at large. So it's like you're involving Superman, Batman, all those other characters. I think for the purpose of this podcast, we're not going to go into them. Well, first of all, I haven't read them. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about them, even though we haven't read them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think maybe in the end, we could do like a supplemental thing, but that's it's probably not going to happen. But yeah, so I think it's, it's a good place to talk about Alan Moore mm-hmm. a little bit. Alan Moore is, uh, he's an English comics writer who's widely considered one of the most influential creators of the 20th century. Are you, are you familiar with his, with his work? Besides, uh, other, than Watchmen? other than Watchmen, I actually am not. So I'm actually interested to kind of pick your brain a little bit on, are there other in, influential works that he's done? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I think it's a funny place to start because like, I think his works r- really entered like the the mainstream public consciousness probably like in 2008. Oh, um, okay. With the Dark Knight. There was this funny thing where like the Dark Knight came out and then the trailer for Watchmen was attached to the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. In 2008 I was I was in New York City. I just graduated college and I would always go to my comic book store which is uh, Forbidden Planet near New Union Square in New York City. And I just remember that summer when The Dark Knight came out, when I went to the comic book store, everyone was asking for either Watchmen or or The Killing Joke, which <laughs> is the, the Joker comic yeah. that Alan Moore wrote. And it, it's funny because those two works, Watchmen is one of his most, I want to say, like misunderstood works. And then The Killing Joke is like, one of his most overrated works, I think. I think it's just kind of funny uh, that everyone went nuts over Alan Moore stuff. And then, like, his other, I think... I mean, Watchmen is, is classic. It's, it's like, 
a super important work. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's funny that a lot of his other stuff kind of fell by the wayside. Mm. Yeah, so I think that was just a a super saturated point in time where where everyone wanted a a piece of (laughs) either his most misunderstood work and like his I don't I don't want to say worst. The Killing Joke is problematic. Um, we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, I think most interestingly, Alan Moore's kind of a weird dude. He's, if you don't know this about him, he's an occultist and he's like a ceremonial magician. And he's like super into like the occult, kind of like an anarchist. Um, and you can see a lot of the, these threads in his more independent work. Like for instance, uh, have you read From Hell? No, no. Um, so that's like his riff on jack the ripper oh um and it kind of reframes the 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 serial killer in victorian era as like the subject at the center of a freemason conspiracy Mm -hmm. uh so there's like a lot of occult symbolism in the book and and a lot of themes like that it's it's super interesting and and like he's also known to be like kind of a cantankerous kind of guy uh he's got a lot of disdain for the superhero genre in general which we'll obviously get to with watchmen like I said before, he famously hates like all adaptations of the work, even though he never really fights against it. Like people will adapt it, and he just accepts it, but he never has to like it. He never likes it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got this—he's got this ongoing feud with Grant Morrison, who's like this other huge name in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> funnily enough, Grant Morrison um, was also into like magic. He characterizes himself as like quote-unquote a chaos magician so you've got like this whole weird dueling magicians vibe with these two and it's just you gotta admit it's kind of amusing uh, uh it's just it's super they're they're both characters uh, someone needs you can, you can say what you want yeah someone needs to write that comic where alan moore and grant morrison are actual magicians that duel <laughs> right kind of reminds me of 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 the prestige, I guess. <laughs> which one is um, which one is Christian Bale and which one is Hugh Jackman? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's. Funny. I mean, I mean, you can say you can say what you want about Alan Moore, but you can't deny that he's a, a brilliant writer. He's famously known for deconstructing the superhero genre. His thing is like his super crazy retcons, which are always changing characters and like what we know about those characters. One of his most well-known works is, is Swamp Thing. I don't know if you caught the the DC Universe show. No, was that was that actually good? It was pretty good. I, oh, I enjoyed okay. it. Um, it kind of it kind of flew off the rails in the end a little bit. I know it got and canceled pretty quickly. It, can, it got canceled before it even premiered. Which <laughs> oh, was, that's so sad. <laughs> which was uh, which is crazy. The thing with Swamp Thing is that it was like a totally underperforming title at the time and. What Alan Moore did was he like totally revitalized that character by changing the guy completely. He was like originally the super simple story. He was just this monstrous creature that used to be a scientist named Alec Holland. And his whole thing was that he would like, hunt the guys that killed his wife and the ones that caused like the lab accident to cause to turn him into a swamp thing. Mm-hmm. But then Alan Moore comes along and he does this thing where he retcons like the entire origin story, basically saying that Swamp Thing was never Alec Holland in the first place. But he was always this plant creature that somehow absorbed all of Alec Holland's memories and personality when he died in the swamp. Okay. Um, and I think more described him as like a plant that thought he was Alec Holland. And like the big revelation was that he was sort of this elemental god creature connected to all the plant life on Earth. It's super weird. It's like super trippy. 
And it's just like really signature Alan Moore that really gave like the, the character like a punch in the arm. It's 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 really good. You should you should read it when you okay. get a, when you get a chance. All right. Yeah, uh, maybe watch the show too, even though it's only going to last one season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. Like I feel like DC Universe's library is pretty anemic. I think I think it's pretty much winding down probably at this point. Um, yeah. And then I guess yeah. to talk a little bit more about Alan Moore, he does have two big kind of projects or titles he's worked on that maybe people do recognize because they've seen the movies, right? Which would be mm-hmm. V for Vendetta and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Right? Yeah. Yes. So um so yeah, V for Vendetta was based on some of his earlier work before he joined like the mainstream DC and mm-hmm. and and Marvel Comics. That was still when he was uh, in the the UK underground comic scene, and I'm actually not sure when League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was. I've never read that work. It looks like he worked on it. If I'm looking this up real quick, it says he's still working on it, but it started maybe in 1999, so a little bit you know newer than okay, definitely so newer. definitely yeah. than V for Vendetta and Watchmen. I mean, I remember watching that movie, thinking like. Okay, this is not a good movie, but this this would have been a really cool concept for a, a a graphic novel or a comic, right? Where it takes these kind of literary characters and throws them in a comic. Right. They're like and, the the public domain characters. Yeah, and, it, and throw, it, throw them in like a an ad- adventure together. Yeah, uh, like almost like forming this yeah. like literary Avengers. I was like, oh, this is kind of a cool idea. This movie didn't do very well, and it's not very good, but. And it ended Sean Connery's career, but <laughs> yeah, it's, is that the last thing he did? That's kind of that's kind of sad. That that's I the believe last if thing I I don't want to misquote this. I don't want to misquote this, but I, I swear I've heard that. Like he's, he's I think qu- I've heard that too. He's like quoted wow. as the movie that basically made him just quit acting. It was like he had such a terrible experience that you know he just didn't want to do anything ever again. Yeah, that movie was what two thousand three. Something oh, like and that, they, yeah. and they style it as LXG, not the League of Extra. <laughs> I mean, they did, but I mean, it was a very 2003 thing thing yeah. to do. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not overly familiar with with that work. I've read V for Vendetta a couple mm-hmm. times, and I've seen the I've seen the movie too. So is the, is, movie, the movie's okay? It's so pretty good. Is he correct in that? You know. Is V for Vendetta a good adaptation of his work? I think it's probably his, the best adaptation of his work. Okay. I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. I though. haven't either, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I think Alan Moore's like mainstream comic stuff with Batman and Superman are super interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have like The Killing Joke, which is like the inspiration for... For like Christopher Nolan's take on on the Joker, and and to an extent, I, I guess Joaquin Phoenix in uh, in the new Joker film, mm-hmm. it's like Joker's origin is he says it's like it's like unreliable narrator, right? He's like uh, his his origin is multiple choice, which is what he says in the in the comic. But it's also his like most problematic work. It's like the first instance where it's not the first instance, but it's like it's one of the the big mainstream instances of where you fridge a female character just to motivate the male heroes. Yeah. That's the one where, where the Joker 
shoots Barbara Gordon and she's paralyzed mm-hmm. and she becomes like the oracle for the for the next decade or so. And Alan Moore himself isn't very fond of the killing joke. Even though he wrote it? He, even though he wrote <laughs> it. He's like, uh, this was kind of ill-conceived and it's not my best work. It's really short too. It's not, it's not that many pages. <laughs> I think the, the most interesting thing is when uh, Alan Moore was talking to Len Wein, who was the editor of DC Comics at the time. He's like, oh, I'm thinking about paralyzing Barbara Gordon. And Len Wein was like, yeah, cripple the bitch or whatever. Oh, wow. So it's not, <laughs> it's, it's a little, a little indicative of like a not very female friendly time, mm-hmm. I guess, in, in comics. Yeah. So that's, that's the killing joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's get into a little bit of the actual work of Watchmen. Yeah, that? for sure. So, um, I mean, this is what the podcast is about. So, <laughs> so we should dive into Yeah, yeah. So what, what in, in your in your mind, what are some of the major themes that you got when you read Watchmen? So, when when did you first read Watchmen? So, I read it. I was, you know, you described the the people that like went out and ran and and bought Watchmen before, you know, the 2009 movie came out and I was okay. kind of one of those guys, right? I, I I knew that this movie was coming. I I wanted to learn a little bit more read the graphic novel before mm-hmm. the movie came out so that especially because i heard it is a really dense book it sometimes takes a, a second read through to really grasp it and really understand it so i, I agree so i, I wanted I to definitely completely. take that in and then see what Zack Snyder would do with the movie so i i picked it up probably around 2008 or some you know early 2009 before that movie came out and 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 read it yeah oh okay i think i probably read it earlier uh Mm -hmm. probably like in high school junior senior year like 2002 2003 around that time Mm -hmm. and i think i was like a i was like a pimply little teenager right so i probably had the same impression that a lot of these more misguided perspectives of of watchmen I, I probably had the same perspective, like, oh, Watchmen's so, so cool, so dark and, and gritty, especially like, oh, Rorschach, he's so cool, mm-hmm. you know? But after reading it when I was a little bit older, you definitely grasp the themes a little more, where, where it's really a, a deconstruction mm-hmm. of the superhero genre. It's not just Alan Moore's disdain for the superhero genre. It, he, he wants to tell, like... It's almost sad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a tragic work. So actually, I found a I found a clip of him talking about Watchmen. So in the clip, he talks about his perspective of what Watchmen is is all about. There is that element of wouldn't these characters be a joke if they were in the real world? But there's also um, a poignance to the characters. Wouldn't these characters be somehow? kind of sad and touching in the real world. I mean, what, what about you? Uh, what, what do you think of, of Watchmen and, and the themes? I mean, I, I, I really yeah. latched on to uh, like the ideas that Ozymandias kind of believes in and like this idea that, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, sacrifice some to save the many. And I always mm-hmm. thought, like, when, I, me- I remember when I read that, I was like, this is like really dark. This is really dark and really different than your kind of yeah. typical, uh, uh, you know, uh, graphic novel. 
And I think you've seen that theme kind of, especially like lately, right? You, 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 you mentioned the Joker, right? That now there's a movie about mm. a, the, a villain. There's, I think over the last, what, maybe 10 years, we've seen the rise of the anti-villain, right? So we're definitely seeing stories more often now told from the, the side of the, the ambiguous hero, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I think, you know, not trying not to quote anything really large here, but, you know, I feel like Watchmen could have been kind of a jumping point for that, right? Where we definitely see that influence in a lot of things that came after Watchmen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I think I think Watchmen is the birth of, no matter what you think of the term as, like, the dark and the gritty kind of movement in, in comics. I mean, the characters in Watchmen, they're, they're really not heroes, right? They're, yeah. they're either, like, sad sacks or, like, they're, they're assholes. Um, they're, like, really damaged characters. And I think it's, it's just really interesting to, to see that kind of deconstruction in the superhero genre. This goes to, like, the, the creation of Watchmen. In, in 1983, DC Comics acquired Charlton Comics. Mm-hmm. And around the same time, Alan Moore was thinking about writing a story with, like, an underutilized team of superheroes. So he proposed to DC to use, like, the newly acquired Charlton Comics characters for his story idea. Mm-hmm. And then he pitched the idea to the managing editor. Um, I think it was... Dick Giordano at the time, and and he wasn't crazy about the idea since they just spent a ton of money on on all these uh, all these characters, and if Alan Moore got his way with them, they'd either end up like super fucked up or dead. Uh, he gave Alan Moore the go ahead to create like brand new characters mm-hmm. that would act as parallels to these other pre existing heroes, and this would eventually become Watchmen. So I think Moore said that if he could use substitute characters. But he gave them like traits and characteristics that still seemed familiar to readers that it could still work. Do you want to list off some of the characters that, or do you know some of the characters that they're? Yeah, they're so based off? the character, the the comedian, he's he's based off of a character called the Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Silk Spectre is uh, is based off of Nightshade. Ozymandias is based off a character called Peter Cannon, the Thunderbolt. I think Night Owl might be the most well known pastiche where it's ted cord the the blue beetle Mm -hmm. was like the charlton character that that's based off of but also Um, like he's very like me to me he was always very similar to batman yeah he's he's got like the the flying ship the gadgets gadgets. yeah but like inheritance batman (laughs) where batman's like calm and collected and he's like the the consummate detective night owl is i don't say he's like a fuck up but like he seems like the character that's always in over his head, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of deconstruction that Alan Moore wanted to play at, where he's just kind of the sad, sad sack guy, where he has like all these gadgets and he fought crime, but he was just nowhere near as... Uh, put together, as, like, maybe? Put together as like Batman or something yeah. like that. And then and then you got Rorschach, who's, who's a riff off of uh, Steve Ditko's Mr. A, or The Question, who mm-hmm. are like objectivist superheroes yeah and, and definitely that look right because i mean the question where yeah the, the trench like coat the, and the, the hat the trench coat the yeah, hat yeah. uh the mask so and then you have dr manhattan right who's like, dr manhattan who's 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 based off of uh 
of uh, Captain Adam. Mm-hmm. And I think the character that's misunderstood the most is is Rorschach. Yes. So right? yeah, this this um, is kind of what you alluded to earlier, right? Where some people mistake things in this comic and and kind of extrapolated what they want and it's not really exactly what i think alan moore was going for um Mm -hmm. and i think rorschach is the perfect example of that right where uh Mm -hmm. a a lot of what uh alan moore is trying to say um violence i think he has he has a certain kind of not disdain but a a kind of definitely a message that he has he wants to say about violence that it's Violence is not good. Like we shouldn't, you know, it, it's not something that should be praised. And mm-hmm. I think that over the years, that's exactly what Rorschach's character has become: is this kind of idol, right? Something to be praised because he was just, you know, because of the things he did in the comics were just so violent. And I think, I think a lot of like young men they they um, identify so strongly with Rorschach because he's like bullied little kid he's abused and then he grows up to be this masked crime fighter where he's got like this mentality of like oh never compromise Mm -hmm. you know um so i think a lot of people like identify with that and they they tend to think rorschach is is the hero of of watchmen um when when it's really not the case Mm -hmm. if you if you know who he's based off of a character like the question or mr a they're like objectivist heroes. Steve Ditko, who created those heroes, he was a big fan of objectivism, the concept of man as like a heroic being. It's like this never compromise kind of mentality, but those were written as superheroes. They're like noble, they're always pursuing the moral absolutes. Rorschach is like when you take objectivism and you apply it to like a real person. Mm-hmm. So like you have like his um, never compromise mentality, but it's through the lens of his his own biases. So he's he's like racist. He's misogynist, mm-hmm. and his sense of like absolute right and wrong are predicated on his own warped sense of how things are. So like he's not a hero. He's no. He's a gigantic asshole. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I think people misunderstand that a lot. Yeah, like you said, all yeah. all of the quote unquote heroes, of the Watchmen story, or. Definitely not heroes. They are very flawed and maybe even worse ways than you know normal human beings. So you know, take it mm-hmm. for what it is, right? Even like Doctor Manhattan, right? Yeah, he's he's the only one with with superpowers. You could say even he's like he's, he has like godlike superpowers. Mm-hmm. But in the end, he's just a he's just a pawn of the U.S. government. You know, well, he's also um, like a pawn of Ozymandias, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So he. He ends up being uh, just a patsy, you mm-hmm. know? And it's, it's interesting because, like, Watchmen takes place in an alternate 1985 America. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important distinction to make that they don't have superpowers except for Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Right? So they're, they're all just costumed vigilantes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Alan Moore, he paints, like, a really in-depth picture of how superhero uh, costumed vigilantism would, like, affect U.S. history. Doctor in Manhattan helps the U.S. win the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. and Richard Nixon is still president, yeah. serving his what, like third term, fourth, I think. Fifth, I think they said term, yeah. something like that. Um, I think the I think the implication is that the comedian he does like all the dirty work for the U.S. government, so he covered up Watergate, right? I think that's the 
implication i mean it also it also implies i mean i reread the comic it also implies that mm-hmm. he and they they kind of showed in the movie and he takes it like you know Zack Snyder took it a step further <laughs> but you know i think mm-hmm. only in the in the comics it only is implied that he's the one who assassinates jfk uh-huh but you know right, right in the right. movie he, he basically shows him like, assassinating yeah JFK. <laughs> like yeah yeah so um, yeah like yeah he, he's definitely the the comedian is the kind of the government's dirty man, right? Or the guy who gets mm-hmm. his hands dirty for the government. In uh, the same way, Dr. Manhattan is like that too, but, you know, he he thinks it's for good or he thinks it's for the betterment of the U.S., right? But at the same time, you know, there, there's that really great scene or great part in the graphic novel where Blake confronts Dr. Manhattan and basically, you know, the kind of end result is like, hey, buddy, you're... You're you're no better than me. You're you're it maybe even worse because you've kind of like you're starting to forget humanity or you're starting to forget your own humanity. And I thought that was yeah, kind of really yeah. poignant um kind of characterization of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, he's like, You don't you don't care about any of us. Yeah. You know? Um and that's that's true. Like his superpowers have have really uh distanced himself from, from humanity. So mm-hmm. he doesn't really feel anything anymore. Yeah, you know. Uh, I think one of the best parts of the graphic novel is like the birth of Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, say what you want about the movie, we'll talk about this more next week. Yeah. That was, that was a very well done part of the film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe one of the only good parts. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> no, I think there's some good parts uh, of the film. And like you said, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to that we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, then, yeah. we'll get into it. Yeah. So, so do you, do you want to get into a little bit how, how, Alan Moore kind of writes this or yeah, writes and then, you know, Dave Given illustrates this comic. I think it's very non-conventional in the sense that uh, it, especially when you talk about Dr. Manhattan's um, kind of uh, birth in the comics, you know, that right, it, right, it's right. like, it's, it jumps through time and it jumps like in the pages help like the layout of the pages, but the pages themselves help you kind of like move through time in a really kind right. of unique way. Um, so do you want to speak on that a little bit? I think, um, I don't want to say Dave Gibbons is like an unsung hero of the graphic novel, but his illustrations are are part of what makes it so, so special. And I think a lot of people give him credit for it, but I think he deserves a lot of credit for for his art. So like the layout of Watchmen is a completely non-standard nine-panel layout. So it's three rows of three. Almost every page is like like that, where it's three rows of three. So each page has a center center panel, and it's the same size as all the other panels. They're all the same size, and it just gives them the ability to do some really neat visual things. So like each page has that that center panel. It's it acts as like the the center point of like the entire page, right? And the artwork kind of revolves around that. And then sometimes it breaks out of the the nine panel format. But they, it does it does that very sparingly. So when it does that, it seems like it's a very important moment in the in the graphic novel. Yeah. Um, so if people don't know the Watchmen comics or they didn't see the Watchmen movie, the 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 big kind of uh, twist in the or the graphic novel is that Ozymandias, the character that we've kind of known as a quote unquote hero. Um, turns out to be kind of basically the villain of the story. He basically causes this, uh, in the comics, it's a little different than the movies, he causes this kind mm-hmm. of alien to be transported to New York. 
And when he gets transported, the alien kind of explodes, sends out this kind of psionic wave and kills, I think they said, like 15 million people in New York. Right. Mm-hmm. And to Jeff's point, the only I think the only time in the comic he goes to having the whole page filled with one image is for yeah, the, 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 the it's the final yeah showing the destruction um, of this explosion right and it's just like pages of like people like dead lying on the floor all bloody and and that's you know that's what just kind of pointing at when he talks about the, the significance of how they lay out these panels is that to really show the significance of this event uh, this catastrophic event mm-hmm. you know they dedicate just you know one image per page for these for these where i don't think anywhere else it does that Right. And I think, uh, just to clarify, uh, since we're getting into a little bit of the plot, I think if, if people don't really know what the comic is about, it helps to know that this is set at the height of the Cold War. So mm-hmm. the, whole, the whole thing with Oz, Ozim- So is it Ozymandias or Ozymandias? I don't know. I always just say Ozymandias. <laughs> I could be totally pronouncing <laughs> think, it wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, We'll get it correct but before the next his, episode because we're gonna say it yeah. a lot. <laughs> I've I've read that it's both both ways are are acceptable, but so his whole plan is um, he's trying to to foster world peace by having this whole uh, catastrophic event bring like the U.S. and all the other powers in the world together to fight this this unthinkable, unfathomable alien being. It's it's pretty much to prevent nuclear armageddon and the whole thing kicks off with uh the death of a bunch of vigilantes starting with the comedian right because like the comedian is the one who figures out that this is what ozymandias's plan is he's Mm -hmm. he's gonna teleport this giant monster kill all these people just to get everyone on the same side yeah pretty much but uh (laughs) it's more like you know if everyone has a a one enemy to kind of go after then they won't go after each other, right? So they'll put set aside. Their yeah, they'll set aside their differences. Right. So like you know, uh, Russia won't try to bomb the U.S. and the U.S. won't try to bomb Russia because they have to work together to basically, mm-hmm. you know, next time an alien threat comes, we'll be ready as as a world and not as nations, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was his um, big plan, and yeah. in all intents and purposes, it, it, yeah, it, it quote unquote it, it, works, right? Yeah, it works. Yeah, it works. Because we don't see um, any point beyond this. We we just see the, you know the televised newscast saying like you know Russia's put down their arms. You know uh, the Nixon's yeah, yeah, yeah. going to talk to Gorbachev. So it, it definitely it, it you know by the end of the the story it it works, and I think that's where it leads into you know Watchmen the series, which would be interesting to see how much they take from it and if what, I think what I think happens, the series right? is is decades decades later yeah um yeah this was like this was also like one of the prime examples where like the villain well i mean i don't know if you could call him a it depends on how you view the graphic novel i guess yeah. but where where the villain wins you know he has like the super villain monologue or whatever and and i think it's funny because like at the end he's like oh you think i would just let you let me drone on for yeah uh, <laughs> For however long I did, like uh, I already did this like twenty minutes ago or whatever. Yeah, that's you know, that, like, yeah. It, it's already done. And that, that's kind of um, like Alan Moore speaking to the whole comic genre, right? Where or even like you know, it happens in movies, it happens in comics, where 
mm-hmm. you know, right, like bef- bad, right bad before, monologue. yeah, right <laughs> before the bad guy's about to enact his plan, and he's he's about to tell, you know, he he tells the 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 good guy what he's doing. It's kind of reminds me of the Dark Knight, right, where he's like telling him like, mm-hmm. oh, these people are about to blow themselves up, you know, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's so it, it's funny because he's in the comics, he's telling Night Owl and, and Rorschach what his plans were, and then. Rorschach, mm-hmm. I think, says, "Well, we're here to stop you." It's like, well, I wouldn't be telling you this if <laughs> I didn't already do it thirty-five minutes ago. So it's yeah. it's kind of like that was also kind of a kind of a big twist, right? Where he's like, "Wait, mm-hmm. so our heroes can't do anything about this?" And it's a really, yeah. I, I feel like that sequence in the comics also, but also in the movies, was pretty affecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept it. I mean, we'll we'll get into that yeah one again. More. We'll get into that next week. Uh, next week. Um, so do you do you want to speak a little bit about? I think we kind of hinted on this, but I, I'd like to to target it a little bit more. Do you want to speak a little bit about the violence in the graphic novel? But also, and I think that it goes in in hand in hand with what we said about Rorschach earlier. You know, people really um, taking Rorschach and, and and seeing him as this really cool, violent character. But in, in the comics, he isn't. Or not? They're not all really that violent, right? It, it's not as violent no. as um, it could be, or and we'll talk about this next week as the movie takes it, right? No, I think I think Rorschach is the probably the most violent character, mm-hmm. um, and again, we'll get into this more in next week's episode. Um, but like one of the biggest missteps of the movie is that everyone's like a badass crime fighter. But like you don't really see that in in the graphic novel, uh, right? Like Rorschach's really the only one who's like he's like chopping people's hands off, um, and and he's he, like again he's not a he's not a person that people should be going out and emulate. Um, like not his like what he does physically, not his mentality. Um, he's like he's racist. He's misogynist. Mm-hmm. He's an ugly ugly character yeah so the graphic novel doesn't shy away from sexual violence either so like the comedian's like he's like a rapist Mm -hmm. um and it turns out he's the he's uh laurie's real father right yes silk specter's real father Mm -hmm. not because of rape but they they actually had in the comics yeah i mean say that they had consensual sex yes they they had consensual (laughs) sex but but he does try to rape her Try to rape her mm-hmm. before um, that incident. They they actually got yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the comedians like shooting unarmed pregnant women in in Vietnam. Yep, you know, yeah. So there's there's a lot of violence in in, <laughs> in this this graphic yeah. novel. But I think uh, I guess to my point, it it is violent, but he he reserves I think the most violent act for the end right where you you see kind of like the destruction of the the alien being dropped on new york city and it's really that's where you see like most of the blood most of yeah yeah yeah. so Mm -hmm. like it's it's kind of weird where i feel like people latch on to like rorschach as being this super violent character but at the same time i I, you know i i think when you weigh it the most violent thing has nothing to do with rorschach and it's it's really this kind of um, destruction of New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I also wanted to get in a little into a little bit of what what do you think are some of maybe the more important 
plot points or character points that maybe we should kind of remind our audience of or let our audience know about that we think might be important for this series? Um, I don't know. Did you did you have something in mind? So uh, I, I think you know we 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 talked about you know Ozymandias' plan, and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, what we should probably say that there is a very strong and if you've seen the movie, it's the same plot point where a lot of um, what we're hearing or you know the the way we kind of enter Rorschach's mind is through his journal. He does like journal mm-hmm. entries throughout the whole comic. Uh, and at the end, it, it's basically, um, you know, he has this kind of diary of, of all these entries. And before he goes to leave and fight Ozymandias, it's kind of his backup plan, right? Um, and he, yeah, he, he he basically sends it to a uh, New York newspaper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all we see is that at the last the last page of the comic, it's, it's, it's you know, this editor and his kind of... Um, apprentice are at this newspaper and he's like you know what everyone's at peace there's nothing to run let's let's you know what just just run anything and then you see kind of rorschach's journal kind of it's like at the top of the pile top of this pile right or in this pile and you it's it kind of implies that he's gonna grab that read it and be like oh my god we need to i think i think one of the last lines is like it's it's like the editor telling the the guy and it's also alan moore telling us like oh we leave it in your hands yeah you know and i think that's one of the the takeaways for for the graphic novel so yeah so this whole journal is rorschach investigating the comedian's death in the in the beginning mm-hmm. and then which leads to this kind of conspiracy through, yeah this whole conspiracy with ozymandias um dr manhattan who like who who frames yeah. dr manhattan he frames him for giving like all the people around him cancer um which is pretty fucked up yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so um, and then he and he then basically the gets to, rorschach to his, arrested yeah. yeah and then night owl and silk specter have to have to break him out they go con- confront him um so yeah so yeah i mean those are some of the uh, i mean i think that's something that we should kind of remember from the comics mm-hmm. just because i think you know, uh, my guess is that we this is a world where maybe Rorschach's journal did get released, and that's why we see this kind of occult of um, uh, Rorschach worshippers, if you would, if you may. You know, they wear the mask and the seventh, seventh seventh cavalry. cavalry. So I, I think it is a world where maybe you know um, people do know the truth and people have reacted from it. You know, it's hard to say if people everyone believes the truth. Or if it's something where people are still divided, where maybe some people, the, the Seventh Cavalry, have taken Rorschach as their, their the kind of idol and, and believe that you know the government still needs to be taken down or some or something like that, and because yeah, it, I mean yeah. uh, we we have no idea. Um, uh, so funny thing, they actually screened the entire pilot at at New York Comic Con. Yeah, I heard. Um, and I was here, but I didn't didn't attend because I had work. I felt some real FOMO there, <laughs> but the the word is that it is very very good. So I'm um, so excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you know other things that if you know you haven't seen the graphic novel and you haven't seen the movie, I think knowing the character of Lori Blake or is is someone I think we'll we'll meet in the series, and she's you know the original or I guess the second Silk Spectre. And she's the daughter mm-hmm. of the original Silk Spectre and the comedian. Yes, I think understanding uh, and knowing that you know there's that this this person used to you know be heavily involved with Doctor Manhattan and 
and now Doctor Manhattan at the end of the comic leaves to go on Mars. I think that's mm-hmm. you know if we if you've seen the trailer, that's the clip that you kind of see is at him on Mars. Right. Um, right. So that's kind of where his character leaves off. I mean, the one character that I don't think they've they've shown in the in, in any of the trailers yet is um, Night Owl's character not really knowing mm-hmm. what happens to him if he's even going to be on the show the only thing is we see his ship we know his ship is a part of the show we just don't know if his character yeah. will be yeah i mean that could be a flashback who knows we don't we don't know well i mean we see yeah. it landing like in this farm area and clearly regina king's character is there and then if you watch one of the trades really closely don johnson's actually the one in the in the night owl Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I don't know what that means, like if the, if the police have confiscated it. Because if you remember, um, in, in the comics, is something that they don't do in the, in, the, um, in the movie, is that there is a police investigator that is investigating... Um, what, what is Night Owl's real name? I don't want to keep calling him Night Owl. Uh, Dan Driver. Dan Driver, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. He's investigating Dan's character, and he does figure out that you know Dan is Night Owl, and then right, bef- Night Owl, right yeah. before they kind of leave for Antarctica, they, they kind of raid his place. I mean, he, he Dan still has a ship, but, I mean, they know that he's Night Owl, so maybe... And that's why at the end of the comics, like, he, he takes... A, him and Silk Spectre take a new name. They, they you know, bleach blonde their hair. Um, so, the, you know, it yeah, implies they, that they're yeah. on the run, right? And then... Um, one thing I did want to talk about from the comics that you... I don't know if he's just hinting at it or if he's somehow trying to... I, I think it's more of a hint towards the comic. But if if you remember one of the trailers, like um, Jeremy Irons' character is um, riding a horse and he passes what looks like a pirate flag. Did you notice that? Uh, I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah, like Which he, trailer was that? I don't was remember. Like I don't first? remember if it's the first one or if it's the uh, the second one, but yeah, I remember distinctly remembering that he's like riding a horse and 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 he passes this like pirate flag. You know, like it's like the fl- the black flag with like sails or the the crossbones. Mm, and I'm, I'm jolly, guessing, jolly Roger. yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of uh, maybe Damon Lindelof's nod at this black sails comic that is uh, being the, the black freighter oh yeah sorry tales the black, black yeah tales freighter. from the black freighter comic that uh, a, a, a character's reading throughout the comic yeah uh so this is actually super interesting because if you don't realize it's it's an extrapolation of of this alternate history that that alan moore and dave gibbons had created mm-hmm. in a world with superheroes no one's going to read superhero comics mm-hmm. right and the form of entertainment is uh, pirate comics, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what's intercut in the in the graphic novel. You have uh, you have a kid at the newsstand reading reading the Black Freighter. So that's that's like Alan Moore's little take on what would happen to the world of comics in a world with superheroes. Um, and is it and also supposed to be kind of a parallel for... It's a parallel. For Adrian's um, so like, character? Yeah, for, for Ozymandias' mm-hmm. character, where the pirate character in, in uh, the Black Freighter, he, he like sacrifices everything um, to, to achieve his goals. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a very fitting parallel for, for Ozymandias. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 never, I didn't ca- catch that in the trailer, so um, I'll, I'll probably... Rewatch that and and see if you can see that. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, because I mean, I if people don't know, like the the Black Freighter storyline is like you know this guy who gets stranded on on an island, thinking like, oh man, these pirates that just kind of like blew up my ship and killed all my friends are going towards my hometown and they're gonna kill my wife and my kids. And he mm-hmm. does anything he can to, because he already believes the worst has happened. He's he does anything he can to get back to his wife and kids. And but uh, during this travels, he he take he he realizes like the worst has already happened. He thinks his wife and kids are dead, so he actually goes back to his hometown just to seek revenge. So mm-hmm. you know it's kind of a parallel for Adrian's character because you know Adrian is the guy who thinks the worst is going to happen, so he acts based on what he what he thinks rather than what he knows and it, it, that's the kind of where the parallel comes from in my mind so it's really right. kind of interesting to kind of um and if that's definitely something that's lost in the in the um what's it called the movie because you know they ha- they don't have this black freighter they right? they released uh they released the an animated uh, Black Freighter with the film on DVD. Oh, did they? I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't even. Yeah, know Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, that's not part of the theatrical. Yeah, like most people probably have experience. not seen that. So like, if you if you have to like buy the the special edition DVD to like get extra insight, um, I don't know if that's the best way to do it. No, um, it isn't. Yeah. So yeah, like uh, that. But it's part of the director's cut or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just something I noticed when I was watching the trailer. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm guessing I don't think they're going to bring in the Black Freighter storyline, but it was definitely a nod to that in my mind. Yeah. 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 And then <laughs> I was re- it's really funny because, you know, we, we talked last week about Robert Redford as the, the president of... Mm-hmm. And then I, I didn't even realize, or I, don't, I didn't even remember that, like, in that last page... I, I think, um, you know, the editor's like, oh, what are we going to run? And then the, the intern's like, oh, I hear Robert Redford's going to be running for president. And the editor's like, no, there's, there's no way a, 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 an actor is gonna ever going to become president. <laughs> right, right. So it's really interesting uh, that he kind of takes that and basically runs with it in the series and Robert Redford's going to be the president. Uh, or was or is right. the president. Right, I think in the graphic novel, it's, it's like more pointed at, at Reagan. But now, like... Uh, Robert Redford. It's, yeah, uh, I think that's that might be another riff on that yeah. on that line. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I think I think that's that's it. Okay. So next week we'll be talking about the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that will definitely conclude um, this week's episode. Our prologue. Uh, yeah. This week's episode of I guess our second prologue episode. But and like Jeff said, next week will be you know our kind of discussion on the 2009 Zack Snyder film. But you know, until next week, uh, where or where where can people find you, Jeff? Uh, you can find me and my writing at strangeharbors.com. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at strangeharbors. Okay. And what about you, Derek? I also do another podcast. Um, it's called the Film Trailers Podcast, and you can find that also on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You know, when it comes to an early show like this, uh, it is kind of really important to get out there and grow our audience. And one of the best ways is, you know, if people would be kind enough to, you know, uh, go on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, it's really important to kind of get a, a podcast jump started. And uh, if you guys like hearing what, what we have, please, you know, 
give us that praise. But you can also find me on my uh, Instagram and Twitter at the wrong Daik. Daik is spelled D-A-Y-I-K. We always encourage um, interaction from our listeners, our fans. So um, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, we encourage you guys to email us at whowatchesthepodcast at gmail.com. And um, this concludes our episode for this week, and we'll see you next week.